0: Tip F Paul. Okay, ready?
1: Yeah, uh-huh.
2: Screaming divas, hello. 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 Hello, Paul. We can't say, there you are, handsome hey. brother. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cool. How are you? Fine, thank you, how about you? Well, you know, considering the circumstances,
3: Exactly. You look great, though.
2: Well, thank you. You know, um, it's, it, it's a new hairstyle. <laughs>
3: mm. now, I, the head start on
2: you. Oh, I know. Who was, who was saying that to me? Um, Who's the one? Oh, Christina Shepelman. Uh-huh. She said, oh, embrace it, Sandra. And I said, no. Not yet. This is Carrie, by the way. Hi. Carrie hey. F. Paul.
3: Nice to meet
2: you. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you for joining
0: us.
1: I'm
3: switching gallery view so I can see you both.
0: Oh, great. And, and what, are you, what are you
1: drinking? Yeah.
3: I am drinking a Maker's Mark and ginger ale with <gasps> <for> a wedge <gasps> of lime.
0: Delicious. Delicious.
1: Is that-
3: and you, ladies?
0: Carrie,
2: what are we drinking?
0: Well, since you're in New York, I had to go with Brooklyn gin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is one of our favorites, is it not? Mm-hmm. Delicious. Okay.
3: Oh, uh, nice.
2: I'm feeling fruity today. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a gray, rainy day here. It's just dismal. It is.
3: It's actually been pretty good here today. Not too not too bad. But there have been a run of sort of Charlotte Bronte type days in the past. Uh, it's, it's
2: depression upon depression for us here. It, it's... It, it's bad enough the pandemic, and then and then we had a polar vortex. Mm-hmm. In May, something we'd never had before. Really? No, oh, we had snow up until what, Carrie? Two weeks ago. You did. Yeah.
0: Now, Carrie, where are you? I'm in Nashville.
3: Oh, how's the weather there?
0: Um, honestly, it was supposed to be rainy and gross all week, and it's been beautiful all day today. We've had sunshine with a little bit of gray.
3: But- well, that's. Not bad, Now did Sandra tell you you were in the last opera performance I saw before I went into quarantine? I did
0: not <laughs> I'm slightly horrified because which one was it <laughs> it was
3: the, It was the Don Giovanni in Washington. I enjoyed it i mean i went I went Evan Rochester is a good friend of mine, and yeah. I went with his friend Ellen Marcus. I don't know if you know her okay. no I don't. We, we went to uh we went to Washington principally to meet his daughter. Yes. It's a tiny thing now. She's born in the fall, I guess.
0: Yes. She's beautiful. Yeah.
3: And then we have had the added attraction of Don Giovanni at the opera.
0: Oh, I'm so and, glad you got to see it.
3: But you know, it was a good cast.
0: I love, I'm a, Kyle Kettleson and I have known each other and sung together many times. I'm a, he's a good friend of mine and I just think his comic timing is brilliant and he's a lot of fun to work with.
3: He was sensational. Mm-hmm. That was an amazing performance from him.
2: Yeah, really. really yeah.
1: Boy,
2: we're gonna we're gonna look back at, at these conversations, right, and go, oh, the good old days when you could the <laughs> opera on. Oh, the good old days when you the could good see old
3: opera. Yeah. Live opera, yeah.
2: I know. So how are you doing with all of this? What? Fine. what
3: because yeah. I'm, we're all very busy. We've been producing the magazine remotely, and so we just closed. July. Um, so that we signed off on the proofs today. And then we start August the day after tomorrow. Wow, so you're that far ahead. We always, I mean, this is the same schedule. The only difference in the schedule was because we felt this was coming
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, in March, uh, especially our production director, Liz Diggins, pushed us to uh, prepare for working at home. And also, we put through things a little bit early. Mm. Um, and that the June issue was frankly, I think, the most difficult we'll have all year because we had eight pages we had to remove. There were six pages on Tobias Picker's new opera. There were some, other, I mean, we had Cincinnati covered in there, and those cancellations happened while we were in production. We can adjust the text. I mean, obviously, if we're celebrating the centennial of Cincinnati Opera, that doesn't change. But I think to do an interview, a lengthy interview with Tobias and his husband about a new opera that is not going to be done at least for another year mm-hmm. didn't seem to be the best use of our resources right. so those changes we're fortunate that we were able to um, make those and you know our next issue is um, the one that we're closing now is dedica- dedicated to Salzburg so who knows what's going to happen there right you know it's just we have to roll with the punches it's happening to everybody
0: uh, if, if Salzburg actually does have a few performances, which I just read about today, would that be something that you would fly to to go? Would you feel comfortable flying?
3: I would not fly because I usually don't fly to Europe, but I was planning on flying this summer because of the centennial. Okay. I think at this point, um, we have critics on the ground in Europe, and it would be much uh, better to have them do it if they can. Okay. Um, the person who's covered Salzburg for us uh, the past couple of years was based in Berlin. Now he's based in Munich. So that's a lot cheaper flight than me coming from New York.
2: Right, for sure. Well, what do you do with the content that you've had to take out? To take out, I mean, what are you filling it with?
3: Um, we've got a couple of new things that we've worked on uh, in books and recordings, especially. We started, we'll start in the July issue. There's two, two parts to that question. The departments in the back of the book because we don't have any reviews those yes. are those are done as June.
2: Well, that's what we wanted to know yeah mm-hmm.
3: an average of 10 to 12 pages from all over the world every issue so we're trying to expand the book section and in addition to doing a book review we're doing reading lists so that there are in the um july issue five different uh, experts pick their favorite mozart book so we have peter sellers barry kosky jane glover james conlin mm-hmm. Um, talking about a book that was useful to them in their study of Mozart. Then in recordings, in addition to the normal five or six pages we have, we've done two things. One is called Best of the Best, where we pick one opera and pick five moments from that opera and have a bunch of critics just tell us what the favorite one is. And they're very interesting. The first one is Bohem because we thought that would be the easiest with the most performances available. Mm-hmm. So there are people who loved Pavarotti doing Kei Geri da but then there are people who liked Mi and Mi from Claudio Muzio. You know? mm-hmm. So it's a kind of a nice mix, and we're going to have um, a Spotify playlist to back that up. Then another thing we're doing, which is a little bit longer, more protein, as I refer to it, um, we're going to do something called unstandard repertoire and pick a composer who's famous for, say, one opera, like *Samson and Sanson Delilah or Korngold and Todestadt and do a roundup of the available recordings of his or her other operas that are worth listening to while we have time to listen. The other thing we're doing is um, in the front of the book, we started with June, commissioning short pieces on what the current impact is of the pandemic, because we are not in a position, nor is anybody, to make a prediction as to what's going to happen even five minutes from now. Mm -hmm. But The first person to write for us was Anthony Roth-Kristansko, who as you know is also a producer, and he did two pages in the June issue on what he thinks the post-pandemic landscape might look like in terms of opportunity. You know, are there different ways now to connect to audiences? I read
0: that, I loved it, it was a great piece. I'm glad you did that.
1: Thank you. Mm
3: -hmm. We've got one coming up in the July issue, which just closed from Richard Fairman on what the impact is specifically in the UK. Okay. Because there, there are companies there, it's a model we don't have in the U.S. anymore, of touring companies. You know, mm-hmm. how are they going to continue to go on in addition to the summer festivals and the companies in London? Then in August, which is an issue that's focused on education, Stephanie Blythe is going to talk about what it is like to teach people remotely. And that, to me, is a fascinating subject because mm-hmm. I can't tell whether or not that particular component in our world is going to stay, but obviously, I mean, not in terms of performance, this is in terms of teaching.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm such a hands-on, hands-on person though when I teach and I have a hard time thinking, how is that going to translate to online? And you, you can't hear the overtones, you can't hear. Right.
0: There were, um, a good friend of mine's teaching and he said, the biggest question I have that I cannot answer is, what fuck do you think I am? what music should I actually be working on rep-wise? And he is in his mind, how in the world can I tell that over a Zoom meeting? I yeah. need to hear you in a space to hear exactly what this voice does. So mm-hmm. it's, a difficult, um, it's a difficult medium. There are possibilities there, but I think it's, it's difficult yes. for those yeah. kinds of questions.
3: I think that what my understanding is that if a teacher is working with a voice he or she already knows, Yes, Yeah. I think the problem is going to happen if this is still going on in September and you have new singers meeting new teachers, that's where you get into really tough territory. Because for me, for example, one of the things, this is a, a, a judgment call, but it's something that I found in competitions, for example, you can tell nothing about a singer's integrity from Zoom. You can't tell how he or she enters the room, how they treat the accompanist, you know, all that stuff, which is part of his or her understanding of the music and understanding of what it's like to communicate that music to an mm-hmm. audience. That's tough. I mean, subtleties, uh, subtleties, subtlety. right,
2: are, are, are lost. Yeah. All and, that. Yeah. So, and we see all this online content going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, is Opera News going to review online content?
3: At this point, no. I mean, I think it depends on what it's supposed to be. Because if it's something that is developed specifically for online, maybe. But I will tell you that we tried with two pieces at the beginning of this process and were asked not to review it. Okay. By the presenters.
1: Okay. So that.
3: I mean, we wanted to because I thought it would be interesting. And also the turnaround is obviously very different
1: mm-hmm. because
3: we wouldn't be reviewing something and then coming out um, in a monthly magazine, it would be coming out right away. I think in terms of reviewing a what for me is a picture of a performance, I don't think that that's quite fair. I think at this point, I'm saying no. I mean, we did, my column in the uh, July issue is about the Met Gala, and that was, to me, Um, an emotional experience that wasn't something I certainly felt comfortable reviewing because I I would have ugly cried you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes I know I you know we asked that question because there are some recordings I've heard that have um, added I've listened mainly out of curiosity but some Mm -hmm. of the recordings I've heard have added reverb they've added all kinds of things to it and I just was wondering what is if those are reviewed, what is the responsible way of reviewing that? I mean, is that something that's brought up? Is it discussed?
3: Is it? Oh, sure. I mean, I think it would have to be, but you'd have to get as much information as you possibly could. True. At the beginning of it. I mean, the Met was, uh, I think, very good about disclosing which performances were uh, sung live, which were sung to pre-recorded tracks, which right. uh, were um, done in pieces. You know the way they put things together, mm-hmm. but. I hope that the critics that we have, wherever they are, are going to be able to review live performances because that's what they're trained to do. That's what I want them to do and that's what they're trying to capture. What you try to do or what we try to do in review of a performance is capture a moment in time that is experienced by a number of people all at one time but no two people hear it the same way. And that's what you try to give to the the, uh, reader Mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, one of the things that happens with doing things online, it's a little bit like doing um, a movie. You know, you're removing it. There's one degree removed from the actual person sitting in front of it. Whatever the connection is and whatever the excellence is, it's not the same. And I think that it, if it is to be reviewed, it has to be reviewed with that caveat and with those yeah. circumstances. But I agree with you completely about reverb and Mm -hmm. juicing things up and stuff like that.
2: And that visceral feeling, you know, when the the voice hits you when you're in the theater, you just, you can't replace that with... No. So what about, have you thought about, and here Carrie and I are being, you know, like editors for you, but there are a lot of things that nobody talks about Mm -hmm. in opera magazines, such as... Vocal injuries, mm-hmm. vocal illness, mm-hmm. pause. As a woman of certain age, I will not include Carrie in that because I am a woman of certain age. Things like breast cancer, cancers, things that singers have gone through. Have you thought about doing, in in in, the meantime while we're waiting for opera to get back to whatever the new normal is going to be?
3: We have done stories on singers' cancers and on other injuries, and I wish I could remember the, the the lady's name but there was a woman she created the role of Curly's wife in uh, of mice and men mm-hmm. and she came back to singing or to understanding singing after having had a stroke mm-hmm. so we did cover that um we covered uh I don't want to get into anything too specific
2: yeah well we can listen we're, we're this is <laughs> it, not a live show remember that
3: it depends, on, it depends on the individual singer. And I think it, we are in discussions with someone who had the coronavirus now and what that's like coming back because I think that's something that belongs in this time. I think in terms of um, the other things you mentioned, for example, um, menopause or that mm-hmm. is potentially quite interesting. We've done childbirth a lot, mm-hmm. um, not, I have not done childbirth myself, but,
1: you know, <laughs> yeah, so it,
3: but it, it's something that people discuss in terms of how much time do you need before the baby is born? When do you come back? That gets talked about um, really um, frequently. It mm-hmm. does not get talked about in terms of any kind of complications mm-hmm. and heart and depression,
1: mm-hmm.
3: that sort of thing. So it's possible, but yeah. what I, what I would like to do is the immediate. Uh, the immediate uh, question of the physical recovery from the illness. The other thing, which is going to be very difficult to put a marker on to commission an article, is the emotional. Yes. Um, the thing about this in our industry, it's awful for everybody. But I can't think of another industry other than opera, and that includes opera magazines, where we can were able to predict with a certain degree. Of surety where we will be five years from now who we will be with what restaurant we'll be eating Mm -hmm. you know what comes up then how much we're gonna get paid all that I mean we we never we we performed and wrote in the present time but we always lived in the future Mm -hmm. and now the future has been removed from our lives it's not that it's not going to come back it's the idea of not knowing when Mm-hmm. So it's like being thrown in jail and you have no idea how long the sentence is.
1: Yeah.
3: And that's everybody. But in this particular um, industry, you know, especially for the two of you, because you're singing not just with the mechanics of your voice, but you're using everything inside as well. And it's not that you have to be cheerful every day to be able to sing, but uncertainty is something that is very difficult to sing through.
0: And, and depression. depression. Yeah, I mean, depression, I think is, I mean, it's rampant right now. And I think um, not a lot of those that feel comfortable in talking about it are, but I really wish there could be something in print for mm-hmm. those that aren't comfortable in talking about it so that mm-hmm. they don't feel so alone. It's why, it's, again, it's one of the reasons why Son and I started this because I wasn't seeing content online that had information I wanted to know about. And I also wanted to say, you're not alone in not wanting to practice. You're not alone in feeling these Im- immense emotions of loss. So yes. um, so that I would love to see that um, in print. And I, I always wondered why um, October, because that's breast cancer month, um, because there are singers uh, that have gone through breast cancer that it would have been, it would be really fun to see an issue on that and how they dealt with it, how it affected their voice, if it put them through menopause. I mean, if it, um, so I was just always curious if that was something that was difficult to do to find singers that would talk about that?
3: Yes, to be honest. I mean, I can think of two that we talked about who did not want to go public because of the employment issues. Yes. Yeah. There is a stigma attached to that. And I think even to run something without someone's name invites a guessing game, which I think is not fair. Not fair. But you know, it's, it's tough, because there are health issues, and there's no reason that someone can't come back from those health issues, but so much in terms of um, women's health, and to a degree, men's health, is tied up in the youth market, and once we've had a few miles on us, or there's illness, or damage, or whatever, people are less willing to um, make an investment. I think that's wrong. Certainly, you but,
2: that's why I, I talked about my vocal surgery. Exactly. Not immediately after, but no. Once I knew that everything was okay, and I felt like I I was in a position in our business that mm-hmm. I could talk about it. And I I thought people needed to to see a face attached to what I went through, and to say that it's okay. You can come out the other side of it, all right. And I can't tell you how many people wrote me after yeah. I, I, I talked about it. So, you know, if I touch one life and help people, you know, so be it.
3: The, the story that had the most resonance, and I think one of the most important ones we've ever done, was when Patricia Reset came out as a lesbian uh, for the first time in the Opera News uh, pages. And we had a little bit of pushback. Um, from some people on the Publications Committee and the board, nothing terribly significant. Mm. But I said that I didn't really care what the industry thought. Patricia had already taken that responsibility. I said I wanted that story to resonate with some girl in a dorm room reading an opera news magazine and realizing that she was not alone in yeah. facing this issue internally. Now, since that was done, and I can't remember the exact year, I think it's like 2000, 2001, it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It's now something that people talk about all the time in the industry and out of it. Yeah. And it's some. I can't believe um, now when I'm doing soundbites interviews with people I've never met before, they'll talk about my boyfriend, my girlfriend, you know, um, I'm gender fluid, whatever. That's all great. But I want to say on some level, Do you realize (laughs) how how different it is since we first started doing these things? And I remember uh, one woman, I can see her face. Now I remember her name, but I'm not going to say it. Um, She also uh, was a lesbian, is a lesbian. And um, we got a panicked call from her manager saying I had to be taught, something had to come out of the article. And I thought, well, I got on my high horse and said, oh, no, this is not. Whatever, and so I took the call, and he said, "Yes, this has to come out." And it was her age, not the fact that she was a lesbian.
0: <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yay!
3: He said, "No one to employ it." She said, "He. She can sing really well, but said people are going to think if they know how old she is that she won't be able to sing that much longer." Uh,
0: what but, is that? I don't understand this. I mean, I was raised by singers like Marilyn Horn, who told me, if you don't have a career that lasts this long, there's something wrong with your technique. So we better make sure your technique is solid. And having a career in your 60s was something that was a goal, was to be able to sing this long. And I, I don't understand why that's, I mean, for voices like mine, I don't come into my prime until I'm in my mid 40s, but somehow in this business, if I'm in my mid 40s, I'm already over the hill. But I sound better in my 40s than I did in my 30s. So. I
2: feel like I'm singing better now in, in 50s than 40s so
0: plus that doesn't even account for what we've lived through and the emotions that we can bring that sure. sometimes are very different from not saying that a 20-year-old ha- has not lived a lifetime sometimes some 20-year-olds have in mm. 20 years but I just it brings an experience to the role that's my Donna Elvira now is very different when I sang Donna Elvira in 2001 so <laughs>
3: Yeah. Sometimes- I've been looking in the uh, uh I always get confused on the num the issues. We just closed July, so we've got um obituaries in there for uh Arlene Saunders and for Rosalind Elias, who both mm-hmm. sang really, really a long time. I mean yeah. Ros made by the way debut when she was in her eighties mm-hmm. and she sang it really well. And then in the uh, August issue, we'll have Gabrielle Bacchier and John McCurdy, who also went on for a long time. Mm -hmm. So if you know what you're doing, I mean, obviously there are certain things physically which change, but, you know, I think if you know what you're doing, you can certainly go on for as long as you want to.
2: Yeah. Now, I know we sound a bit like feminists, and I'm going to harp on a little bit, but I, I we We both read an article about you with you talking about women and women in the opera business. How mm-hmm. do you feel that the role of women has changed in the opera business, not just singers but women in general? and do you think that the hashtag meToo movement, if you want to talk about it, has influenced any of that?
3: Um, the me too hashtag me too is spe- is specific to the way women are spoken to and treated, and I think that has affected change, and that's good. Mm -hmm. But that is um, something which is supported anecdotally, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. that specific instances can be changed. No, I don't think the industry has changed fast enough in terms of the inclusion of women in positions of authority, Mm -hmm. uh, in positions uh, of musical authority. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: I think the idea that the Met, for example, this is changing obviously, but taking that as an institution which has been around the longest, how many female composers? How many female conductors? And I came from the theater, so when I was first in the opera world, when I worked in a summer stock company, all the accompanists, half the associates in in a nine week season, two or three of the conductors would be women, and that was not. A big deal because it's you know, batons aren't heavy, anyone can move.
2: <laughs> so, that's great. Can we quote you on that? That's right, that's, that's the hashtag of the day.
3: <laughs> but I, I think it's very much connected to um, authority in the fact that you know we're looking at this country and you know, can, uh, is the country ready for a woman to be president? What, well, what does that mean? Why aren't they ready? it's because they're not ready to accept a woman in a position of authority within a patriarchy. It's mental. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what we're looking at in terms of women being in positions of authority or power or planning within this industry. Certainly, I think Deborah Borda is an example for- I was gonna millions, use her, yeah. Millions of people. Um, who look at what she's done with the Los Angeles Philharmonic and now with the New York Philharmonic and look at how she moved her institution out in front of the pandemic ahead of everybody else. I think yeah. she's absolutely a genius. Mm-hmm. And we did a big piece on her when she came back to New York. And she talked a little bit about what that's like, but I think it was she selected what she wanted for herself as as a management position. That's what she wanted to go into and she's done it very, very well. I mean, I would hope that more women are accepted as stage directors, as conductors, principally. Um, certainly we see in a lot of orchestras that there's female representation. And in operas on stage, obviously that's limited by what the characters are in the repertoire we're doing now, sure. well, but those are sure, but why not when we're looking at operas, if I may, and commissioning new ones have some female stories sure. or gender non-traditional stories because those stories deserve to be told
2: agreed yeah. agreed so uh, it, mm. bless you i mean thank you because a lot of people won't talk about this and mm-hmm. it's it's always on our mind we talk about it so much really mm-hmm. that, yeah
0: what about um music critics i grew up uh, in a time where I, was, I knew who Martin Bernheimer was. I mean, I grew up with Thomasini and Anna Jet reviewing me. And then mm-hmm. there seemed to be like a huge shift with critics turning into, especially with newspapers and online content, I feel like we lost a lot of good music critic, music critic reporters. And then it all went to bloggers. And some of those bloggers have, you know, um, have now been published in some of the big publications. Where do you see the future of music critics now? And reviewing, yeah, reviewing.
3: Well, um, I've used this particular example um, when I speak to young artists, when they ask if they should read reviews, and I said, you have to consider the source. For example, uh, and I asked them, have you ever fed a baby? You know, have you ever spooned food into a baby's mouth? And you know, I said, well, say you're dealing with feeding the baby applesauce now. If um, the baby spits the applesauce out, that doesn't make him or her a food critic. They've expressed an opinion, but it doesn't necessarily be, mean it's valid. Right. If the baby can take one teaspoonful and tell the mixture of Macintosh to grab and steam to delicious apples, then you're a critic. So. Oh, you think, are brilliant. Oh my gosh. Expressing an opinion is really easy, and I think expressing a negative opinion is also really easy, and I'm not directing at anyone in particular, but I will very often say to writers who are looking to come into opera news, I judge a critic by whether or not he or she can write an interesting, favorable review. Because Favorable, because anyone can write an interesting, negative review by making it funny. Right. And again, I mentioned no names, but you know, if you're taking a target of a performer or mm. a competition or whatever, they can't defend themselves. I think you can certainly do a negative review and be supportive, understanding, not spread a whole lot of blame around. I mean, I think the worst thing you can do in the context of a live performance is blame the performer for whether or not it worked or didn't work because you have absolutely no idea whether or not there were negotiations made in the course of rehearsal. (laughs) And what particular move is that the lady or gentleman on stage is doing and Mm -hmm. is being paid to do. So you can't assign blame as far as that goes. I think you can blame the person that paid to put it on and then take it from there. But to a larger point, we're looking at um, uh, media in the United States especially, and in the world, but in the United States, It's not just music critics, it's everything, because it's the incredible shrinking arts section. We wrote that piece uh, in Opera News at least, I wanna say it's 12 years ago about what the reduction was at that point. And I remember the first time I went to Opera Colorado, um, which was not when the new Opera House opened, so it was before that, there were three full-time music critics in that city. Three amazing <laughs> there are none, none. and that was with an opera company that was making a major investment in the local economy by working on building the ellie Hawkins opera house
1: yeah
3: mm-hmm. I, I look at that in terms of who someone like martin bernheimer who uh just died within the past couple of months mm-hmm. but martin trained to be a critic mm-hmm. from the time he was in his 20s and he was really good right from yeah. right forth i mean he was someone who had a really terrific way with a phrase, but he also backed it up with formidable knowledge.
1: Yeah. I think
3: there are a lot of people now um, who are just able to get coverage because the coverage is not based on, or the acceptance of that coverage, I should say, is not based on whether or not it's good or bad. It's how many hits you get, how many followers. Right. Yeah. And a loss as to how to reverse that particular trend. But in in light of what our lives have been changed by looking at the internet, if you can say that, yeah. um, so much that's out there is not vetted, it's not accurate, it's not really good information. We're seeing it with the coronavirus right? and crazy things that circulate. And the same thing happens with performance reviews. Mm-hmm. you know. And then I'm beginning to think now, um, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, but I look at it in terms of marketing and the idea that now marketing is selling tickets in a much more powerful way than the critical community did. Mm-hmm. Because it used to be when I was, I'm a lot older than both of you, but when I was in uh, high school and starting to go to the theater, Clive Barnes of the New York Times could open a show or close a show yeah. if the review was good or bad. Now you can have a favorable review in the Times and the show will close. Or you can have a bad review in the Times and the show will run. People are just not making decisions based on those reviews. Mm -hmm. I still think it's important to have critics. I think it's important to make that part of the conversation. And I think to extend the world of the performance into the world around us, I think it's perfectly legitimate to look at what is commissioned in terms of new work and make that part of a review and say, why this story now? Why, if this story is about woman X, is it? pardon me, directed by a man, conducted by a man, designed by a man. Maybe the person who zipped her up into her dress is a woman. But if you're telling a story from a woman's point of view, why wouldn't you have other women come in there? Mm -hmm. It's the same same gaze we see in the gay world. You know, the idea that people used to get medals pinned on them if they were heterosexual playing gay people because it was such a stretch for Mm -hmm. straight people to pretend they were gay. Now you're seeing um, plays where gay actors are playing gay roles, and that makes a big difference, I think, in terms of the way that conversation settles mm-hmm. beyond that casting issue and moves into the larger issue of what the story is that they're trying to tell.
2: Truth, Truth. maybe, and that's what this pandemic is all about. Ultimately, unfortunately, all the people who have lost lives, I'm, right. it's horrible. But maybe now, maybe now that the, instead of all this false news and false advertising and false social media, maybe now this is the this is a time to wipe the slate clean and to start with more facts. I and hope really I insist hope so. upon that, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I hope so. I, I am tired of people speculating and wondering and, and and putting fear. And that's why Carrie and I started this. The the, the fear and, and reading everything that we read the uncertainty is is worse than the truth, I think. we I, Yeah,
0: I mean, I, we, Sandra and I were talking today and it was actually one of the questions that we had put on our list for you. Um, because some days I wake up and I have a lot of hope and I think, yay, I can't wait for the business to come back. I'm not exactly sure what it's gonna look like, but I'm, I hope it looks like what it was before pre-COVID. And then I have other days questioning, was my Donna Elvira performance on March 11th the last at Washington National Opera at the Kennedy Center? Is that going to be the last time I am on stage singing opera and doing what I love? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, different days are different feelings. I was wondering how you felt about it or your emotions on this, on what the future of opera looks like.
3: Oh, I, th- I mean, obviously I think about it every day and I'm fine until I'm not. And then I'm fine again. Yeah. You have to accept the fact that this is not um, a steady, steady progress in either direction. You know we are up and down because you're being, you res- I'm responsive not only to what I'm thinking and feeling, but also talking to other people. You know, making a phone call or FaceTime with a friend, and realizing that perhaps someone's picture on this is a little bit bleaker than mine, or a little bit less bleak, and one of the things that we've learned is who are the people in our lives who are really important to us. Oh true. Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry, it's just so emotional
2: sometimes.
3: Of course yeah. it is. And I
2: don't Carrie's able able talk to, to me.
3: <laughs> but you said Carrie is and I said Carrie is well. Carrie's
2: not really been able to sing much because she's she's in an apartment in Nashville. Hmm. Well she hasn't sung at all actually because neither of us have. I haven't been able to just because mentally and emotionally I haven't been able to. And Carrie as well. And then she's in, a, in, a, in an apartment building. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and everybody's here.
2: <laughs> Everybody is there. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the middle of a forest, so the deer <laughs> would love for me this thing. exactly. And goose but, and the geese. <laughs> but emotionally, I can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was asked to sing on the Met Gala, but I, I said, I'm sorry. I am not ready to do that. And maybe no. that's selfish of me, but
0: it's that it... <laughs> just like hit me. I'm we have, we haven't cried on an interview yet. <laughs>
2: no, we haven't. So, Clearly, uh, the
3: externals are are troubling. You know, in terms of not being able to make the noise you want to make. My advice okay. would be, if you can do it, to pay attention to what's inside, yeah. and take it of yourself, whether it's through reading more, writing more. I mean, I don't think necessarily. Um, you can watch as many Netflix series as you want to. But I think if you have thoughts about this and other subjects, write them down because you never know when you'll be able to unpack those. That's
2: beautiful, that's a great idea, really that's beautiful. I, I think never, we're just vocally doing it, we're verbally doing it. Right. our.
3: The thing is that it's, it's great if you can talk to a friend about it, but I think if you write it down, whether or not anyone ever reads it, mm-hmm. um, Edgar Vincent used to have this wonderful advice to his clients. I don't know if you, did you work with him?
2: Oh yeah, I sang for him.
3: Yeah, well Edgar said to me at one point, uh, he was talking, talking to a client, so I said, the review is bad. What you do is take the paper, write the letter, write everything you feel.
2: <laughs> I know where you're going with
3: don't, this. Don't mail it. The next day, throw it away. Yeah, I've <laughs>
2: heard had- a different version of that <laughs> <laughs> that involved the toilet.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> no, that version. <laughs> right, but uh, I, the, yeah. it, the point was express it, but you don't necessarily have to share it. And yeah. I think that's what's so interesting about the emotional lives of singers because you're. You can feel whatever you feel through uh, the filter of these wonderful composers, and you get to share with thousands of people at any one time. Right. And that is a terrible loss when you're not able to do that. But write it down, read it, think it, respect, honor it, make sure that what you feel now, you'll be able to go back to or someone else will be able to go back to.
2: True, it's true. That's good advice also for the young artists. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. For the young kids out there right now that that, that are struggling in many oh. ways more than we are, I, I mean, what can we tell them right now? You touched I,
3: that, on that. It's really tough because I think that so many people now, because of the way young artist programs have changed in the years that I've been observing them, is that it is possible to do college, graduate school, artist diploma, young artist program. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you it's like living at home till you're 31 or 32 years old. You don't have to really worry about much of anything. You're part of a group and you're, you know, you're part of that particular herd. But I do think that a lot of them are facing the uncertainty that say actors face all the time. Not cosmically, like when is the industry going to come back? But any actor over the age of 15 or 16 deals with unemployment and deals with the constant, you know, audition objection syndrome. I think for singers, especially if they're in um, an atmosphere where they're trained very supportively and one-on-one, that becomes very difficult for them. So I would say stick it because you're an artist. You're not an artist because you're making noise. You're an artist because of the way you see the world. And the way you see the world is what you're sharing with people, not the noise, because anybody can make noise. Mm -hmm. And talent, I think, Even if you wanna say that that talent is a beautiful voice, that's an accident, like having red hair or being left-handed or being double-jointed. What you do with that talent is what makes you an artist and you're an artist whether or not you're singing because it's it's about how you receive that and that's what people expect from an artist is that we will hear and see and understand things differently because someone paints it in a certain way, composes it in a certain way, Mm-hmm. Um, things in a certain way I mean certainly so beautiful.
2: you are so eloquent oh, yeah, I mean I, I knew this before but wow you tr- truly have lifted our spirits today I feel so much better I could Aren't totally you? hug you right now <laughs> <I know. laughs> if we were allowed I, would. I really I mean I know we have Paul well, we've talked a lot in the past but this is it, this I think so many people are going to feel immensely better but to what you have to say, really, I mean it is very touching. Sorry. No, it's great. So, how did you come
0: to love the opera world? Was there a performance or a singer that hooked you?
3: Yes, I can give you. Um, it's a it's a two part answer because I was maybe immune um, to the disease, as they say, and then I I was hooked. <laughs> First opera performance, and like a lot of kids of my generation. Uh, I saw opera on television in little dribs and drabs on the Edsel or the Bell Mm -hmm. Telephone or whatever, and was not particularly interested in it. My parents were not fans of opera, but they respected it and they respected classical music. Mm -hmm. And the first classical music performance I went to, um, I can't pronounce his first name, but Horzowski, the Polish pianist, played uh, a benefit at our grammar school auditorium when I was in fifth sixth grade i forget and i did not want to go because uh it was the first time that um whatever it's called a charlie brown christmas whatever that television oh, special
1: yeah. Was. oh yeah yeah, yeah.
3: that was for the first time i said no no no, no I, I want to stay home and watch that and my father said you're going because you never know when you're going to have a chance to see him again and uh, i couldn't tell you anything he played what I remember are his bows because he was very tiny fat little hands and fat little fingers. And he made exquisite music. He was on the faculty at Curtis for years. Um, but he would come out for his encores and stand next to the piano, put his hand on the piano, look at the audience. And they would keep applauding, 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 applauding. And then he would just turn his head like this and said, really? And the people would go nuts. And it was the first time I'd ever seen the power of one person controlling what was my grammar school auditorium full of people. So, flash forward to when I was a freshman in high school, a friend of mine had an aunt who worked at the Met. And it was the year 6970. Uh, so, this was my sophomore year in high school, that um, no one was sure if the Met was going to come back because there was the big labor action. Mm-hmm. And in December, they rushed through a whole bunch of uh, performances and dress rehearsals and things like that. And they were desperate to get people to go to them so people wouldn't be performing to an empty house because it was something that was settled relatively close to when they were actually going up. So my friend got me into my first Met performance, which was the dress rehearsal of Tosca with Tibaldi. Queen oh, of- God. And I couldn't tell you that I had, you know, I remember them stopping the dress rehearsal for the shepherd boy in the last act because the shepherd boy wasn't singing terribly well, Um, whatever. (laughs) I don't remember anything about T'Baldi except the way she walked. And she had this, again, this sort of trick of when she came into Scarpia's apartment, she walked at a certain pace Mm. and then she stopped and started again. Almost like, you know, she was gathering her courage to come in. That I never forgot. And the fact that she had this, when she was not supposed to be a wonderful actress and maybe she was not, but I do remember feeling um, the poise, the fact that she was ready to move before she moved. Do you know what I mean? There was nothing mm-hmm. awkward about her. Mm-hmm. She did herself really, really well. Fun. So at this point, I'm just humming along and loving the theater and all that stuff. And I never uh, thought that much about opera till I was in, I had gone to a couple of performances at the Opera House. And the one that really hooked me was Daughter of the Regiment with Sutherland and the Wow. Wow. Amazing.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
3: it was amazing. And it's like the idea that she was at the top of her game, he was at the top of his game they were entering a different phase of their career, but it was still, to this day, one of the most exciting performances I've ever seen. And we did an interview, or I did an interview, I should say, um, for PBS about uh, Pavarotti on some anniversary. And I said that to me, when he went for those high Cs, it's very different than the way it is now because so many people do that aria and sometimes the, the Cs are squeezed a little bit or they're pinged or, you know they have bells and whistles and lights and stuff but with him it was like watching someone go up for a layup at a basketball game he knew where the hoop was he knew where the sea was and every single one of them just landed and there was no sense of strength or force.
2: the technique
3: exactly so from that moment um you know i the first albums i bought with money in my part-time job in college were dorothy kirsten and Emily de so The rest is, the rest is history.
2: I love that. I really want to hug you now. I mean, wow! I never get to hear any of them. You know, it's you know.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So we want to ask one more question and that is about opera news. Yeah. And this is a question not just for opera news, this is for every opera house, really. What Mm -hmm. are you doing to attract younger viewers, younger subscribers,
3: younger audiences? Well, for us, it's not, we don't know how old they are when they come. Um, okay. In other words, when they buy a magazine subscription or when they, um, Okay. Come.
2: You don't know that info.
3: Okay. We don't know that. I mean, we have reader surveys and I think our, the last, the last one we did, the significant things, the reason you do those is because of advertisers and the significant, okay. we skewing 50, 50 male, female, um, higher oh, percentage. Yes. Pa- higher percentage of passport ownership because opera is a big um, motivator for cultural travel. So we had a higher percentage of passport ownership than travel and leisure. All those kind of stats that yeah. you learn to rattle off. Median
2: lot. age. I mean, we saw that it was the, the we saw one from 2016.
3: That yeah. Year, and that
2: the median age was 49. It was you know I mean it was it's it's a
3: older audience. But I think that that is in common with the way people get information and the fact that we're a print publication first, we do have a website and we have a digital edition. Mm -hmm. But most people who get, I mean, most print magazines have stats like that in terms of the age. Um, What I think the magazine should be and what I've tried to do is to make it a resource for what's best in opera. And I think that appeals to people in the industry and outside the industry. And I think that we want to look at not necessarily what's new, but what is a quality that's interesting. And some new ideas work that way, some new ideas don't. Um, obviously we have a lot of performance reviews when performances are going on, and that's something which is uh, has the youngest readership in the book. you know when they when they go back there. I think it's because there are a number of people in the industry who want to see their reviews or their friends' reviews. I think in terms of what one does, and this is, this is me because I can't, I don't want to speak to opera companies right now. Yeah. I feel it's very important for us to have um, many stories within the magazine. So I think it's important to have men and women of color on the cover of the magazine, not just inside. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have them tell their stories in a way that allows them to be comfortable about being honest about who they are. Mm-hmm that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to ask them about their private lives because I think a private life is exactly that. But if there are certain things that uh, a man or a woman feels comfortable talking about, then that's fine. We can look at including that. And clearly in the case of someone who uh, has a significant other that has been a part of his or her life for decades, that's natural to, to talk about. I don't think it changes what they do in terms of, The mechanics of singing, I think it changes what they do in terms of the way they express themselves within an industry that's not necessarily supportive of that. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's been difficult for people to believe it or not, I think it's been difficult for a long time for people to be openly gay within the opera industry, depending on what they do. Mm
1: -hmm. Certainly, for
3: managers and administrators, it's not been that much of a problem. But I think on stage, certainly, yes. that is something that people have shied away from for a long time. Now it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal from where I sit. Um, but I do think that inclusion and also being able to let, I think that the key for me is that if you are going to look at this form in your audience, um, the form being opera, and you're in the United States, I think you wanna support American singers just the way if you're in Canada, you wanna support Canadian singers, not above all others. But I do think that what, what one wants to do, what I feel is if I had nothing but straight white people on the cover of the magazine for 12 months running, what does that say to people that might pick it up? True. I, I don't belong here.
1: Yeah. Good so true.
3: I think that there are so many wonderful singers that have so many wonderful stories we haven't even, get, haven't even begun to tell. I think that makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, it does. Right. Okay. Cool. Okay.
2: Hello? Rapid fire. Okay. Ready for these? Are you ready? I, okay, so you are going to be a guinea pig for us,
1: cool.
2: because we had been doing, in, in, as an homage to James Lipton, we mm-hmm. had been doing his questions, but we felt that his ghost might start to come after us. <laughs> <laughs> So we have come up with our own list of 14 questions. So you are guinea pig. Okay. 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 Thank you. (laughs) What is your favorite hobby?
3: Reading.
0: What hidden talent do you have?
3: I'm an excellent housekeeper.
2: Ooh, I love that. Okay. What one thing does nobody know about
3: you? My first job was taking care of basset hounds.
2: <gasps> really?
0: Oh, I love dogs. <laughs> well,
3: I can, and the basset hounds were almost as big as I was and certainly a lot longer.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. See, now this is interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, what one word answer do you think of when I say music or opera? Can you sum it up in one word?
3: Exaltation. Mm,
0: cool.
2: What do you listen to other than opera?
3: Um, pretty much everything. I mean, uh, jazz, uh, orchestral music, chamber music. Um, I don't know if you, or Spotify account mm-hmm. people. I do the Spotify playlist for us, so there's a whole mix on there. I mean, cool. Perry, Obama, Bing Crosby, Randy Travis, uh, Stevie Wonder, in oh. addition to, you know, all the opera singers.
2: Stevie Wonder, that's a
0: new movie. I love Stevie. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, hey, hey, Stevie, we love you. Cheers. Uh, uh, who is your favorite singer or rock band, or do you have a favorite out there? You know, like, I don't know, Madonna? <laughs>
3: um not her (laughs) I don't know if I've got a favorite I mean when I was growing up I think and was listening to it a lot I think there was a group called the association that gives you that gives you an idea of what I was like as a young teenager I was sort of missing the doors and listening to the association okay oh hey Um, you know I think in terms of people who are performing now, I think the person who intrigues me the most is Lady Gaga. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. Lady Gaga and Pink, do you feel that time is flying right now? Time is flying by or standing still? Both. Okay,
0: I really wanna ask this one. Um, Your best beauty tip?
3: Soap and water.
2: Most useless talent that you have?
3: I'm double jointed.
0: Ooh. <laughs> oh
2: Gary and I are like, ooh. We, like, uh,
0: you know, Gwen Hughes-Jones, tenor, good friend of mine, can pull his thumb all the way back. Do you
2: have a thumb like that? Do you, you have a thumb?
3: The thing is, it's not, the reason it's useless, I'm not double jointed in all 10 fingers. I'm double jointed in only eight. I don't know if you can see this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool, yeah. You know. Wow.
2: But your thumb, your thumb is like
3: like ours. Okay. I used to be able to crack my ankle at will, but I can't do that anymore. Okay. Well, this is when I was in grammar school, and I could crack it when we were in chapel.
2: <laughs> That's the best. Pile of information.
1: Yep.
0: Um, three words that best describe you.
3: Hmm. friend brother son
2: cool that's beautiful Mm -hmm. you're invited to a dinner party what would you bring (laughs) pre-covid
3: post-covid pre-covid i would bring a bottle of really good red wine post-covid i would bring three bottles of really good
0: Um, you are invited to my house whenever yes. you like. <laughs> Anytime. Once Fun. this is all done.
2: Mm-hmm. Come on over. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Um, what is a fashion trend that you do not understand?
3: Does ta- do tattoos count? Yes. Absolutely. I, I don't mean discrete tattoos or but like uh inking, you know, the whole body. Like a sleeve, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. No, don't get it. Okay,
2: right. Carrie came up with this one, but I have to ask it because it's really brilliant. And I'm gonna say chapeau to Carrie here. What's a song that always gets stuck in your head? Smile.
3: Oh that's
1: artist so nice. breaking smile. smile. Uh, oh,
3: okay. it's ever so near, you know, especially Judy Garland. Yeah,
0: so oh that's the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I love this question. You don't have to answer it, but uh, I enjoy a very good curse word every once in a while. So do you have a favorite curse word?
3: Motherfucker.
2: Yes! The very best curse word ever. That's Carrie's favorite. My favorite. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. And there you go. That's the end of our questions. So you are a guinea pig. I hope okay. you enjoyed them.
3: I did, very much so.
2: Yeah. And we enjoy talking to you. I know, absolutely. You, I, I will speak for myself, but I'm sure for Carrie too, that we feel so much better after talking to you. Really. Well, I
3: am better talking to you. And certainly you've both given me a lot of pleasure on stage. And that's why I do this, because I get to listen all the time.
2: Well, <laughs> hopefully you get to listen to us again soon, you know, live. Okay. Live. Thank you for so, what you're doing.
3: Thank you for what you're doing.
0: Bye.
1: Bye. Very, very dear friend F. Paul Driscoll asked me to
4: sing for him. Um, I recorded it a couple years ago out on my back patio, but I can deny F. Paul nothing. So I'm going to sing Smile from Modern Times. Of course, the music is by Charlie Chaplin and the words by John Turner and Jeffrey Parsons. Here's Smile. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds In the sky you'll get by If you smile through your fear and sorrow Smile and maybe tomorrow You'll see the sun come shining through For you Light up your face with gladness Hide every trace of sadness Although a tear may be ever so near That's the time you must keep on trying Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just do that life is still la da 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 If you just smile. Good night, everybody. Keep smiling. Keep believing. Keep taking care of yourselves and staying home when you can. Always wear a mask and
1: always smile underneath it. Take care, friends. Bye.
2: How many times have we had interviews go out there and we're like, no, I didn't say that.
1: You didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I
2: really didn't say that, but yeah. yeah. And I still have in my brain, one of the best interviews that I I ever had was with you. Mm. You are such a great interviewer.
3: That yeah. was really, really good interview. One in of the best interviews I've ever, ever but given, I think. Office, but, but okay, this is something for young people, if I may, because yeah. I'm going to be talking. Promethean Artists on Wednesday. Oh, I, um, saw that. I, saw that. I can say that one of the reasons why Sandra is such a good interview is that I've interviewed her twice, once for print and once live. She is so well prepared. Not in terms of knowing what my questions are, but in other words, knowing how she feels about the subjects and having gotten her thoughts in order so she's ready to answer. It's like showing up for rehearsal ready to sing. Show up at an interview ready to talk about what needs to be talked about.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes,
3: do your homework.
2: That's what this has taught us. You know, do your homework, read about the people. And Carrie and I have learned so much. We were talking about this. We have mm-hmm. learned so much about everyone that we've interviewed. Mm-hmm. Because we've done all this research. We've, we've gone on Google. We have read about everybody. We've read about you and then also hearing your insights then we can ask more yeah. insightful questions you know and i think that that's what people want to hear they don't want to hear so f paul how are you doing during the pandemic
3: yeah one oh, yeah. left there actually
2: yeah yeah and that's that's not interesting day what? drinking,
3: <laughs> day drinking <yes>.
2: <laughs> three <laughs> bottles of wine yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, because it, it is important, and, the, and young artists, I think, skip that step oftentimes. They just show up and think that just their presence is enough, and it's not. <laughs> when has that ever been enough? Oh, my gosh. Wow. We grew up in the wrong generation.
3: <laughs> well, it's, it's a weird thing because, you know, with the sound bites, for example, for a lot of them, it's the first significant interview that they've had with the first photo suit all that jazz. And there's some people, Ashley Emerson, the soprano,
1: mm-hmm.
3: still give in mentally an Ashley Emerson award to sound bites because she was over and done with in 25 minutes because she was so well prepared. I got the quotes. She knew what she was talking about. She was in to talk about two things. We did great pictures. And there are some, it's got, I mean, and she's very talented. It's mm-hmm. got nothing to do with, her being the smartest person in the world or the best singer in the world it has everything to do with how well prepared she was mm-hmm. and the fact that she knew that this was my job and this is where her job came together with mine mm-hmm. some other people just show up and i ask a question like well who's who's going to be conducting that oh i have no idea it's like okay let me know how the rehearsal goes can help, of- I
2: mean, Seriously, <laughs> it, it is so important that and your word in this business is so important. If you say you're going to have something to somebody in an email, if you're going to respond to something, if you say you're going to have it to them by Wednesday, have it to them by Wednesday.
3: And also be on time. That's the only other oh, thing.
2: Sure, be on time.
3: Be on time.
2: It's so important. Well, there you go. So that's what you yeah. have to do. Thank you. We don't want to keep you too long. But oh, no, no. We, we really appreciated it, yeah. and hopefully we see you soon. Yeah.
0: Yes, are you done yet? Rude, rude.
2: I think he you. Ah, I love, I love this. That is probably my my favorite, Wait, what did we say?
1: Ooh,
0: come to mama.
2: We love you. We love you we, so much. We love you so much. <laughs> I think rippling gin is probably my favorite. It's delicious, oh my and I can't get this to you, can I? I don't think so.
1: <clears throat>
0: I can't send anything fun to you.
2: I'm Carrie. Stop looking at the... Can we just Can we just talk about that right now? I have never, ever, (laughs) ever had roots like that. I
0: don't know why. That's bad. It looks so bad. What happened like in a week? Like, oh my gosh, your hair grew really long in a week.
2: I think it's all the lung buckets. As my as my girlfriend Yvonne would say, it's the lung buckets full of fresh air that I got. Yeah. It is bad. Yeah, it but you like, know it's pretty though. It is pretty. It reached critical mass. That's what my husband would say. <laughs> it reached critical mass. <laughs> we <were> like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. Can you get a ticket for drinking and driving?
0: Yes. Yeah. Do you want to really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. DUI on a scooter? DUI on a bike? On
3: a tractor.
0: On a tractor? On a horse. On a horse. <laughs> Welcome to Nashville, people. <laughs> that's skateboard. Skateboard? Yeah, any, mo- any moving thing and you're drunk, you're in trouble. Whoa. hmm